This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals capusta, bumpy, pierogi, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Yak Shamash, everybody. Welcome to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. This is Jay Kokorowski. we got the Polish Rifle Scott Wesniewski. Welcome on a Wednesday evening here. Of course, we're brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys go to Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Badgers news, notes, discussion. And it's a big weekend coming up for the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, we're only a couple weeks away from opening day. Uh, and so that's what our big two topics are going to be. Obviously, we'll start off with the Badgers, but towards the you know, bottom of the hour, about 20 minutes in, that's when we'll break down, uh, 20, 25 minutes, we'll break down some Brewers talk, talk about their season and and, uh, and, and some possible optimism, but some pop, possible skepticism, too, about uh, where they'll land in the NL Central. And uh, But uh, big news today, obviously, it sounds like senior point guard Trayvon Jackson will be available in some capacity uh, for the game. And he's practicing. He said today, he told reporters that he was going to be, uh, he's, he was going to play. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. We have some exclusive audio from our Max Sternberg uh, that we'll play a little later. Or if one of my twins decides to uh, act up a little bit, we'll, we'll go quickly into Trayvon right there. And so we'll, we'll discuss like that. Uh, but Scotty, first and foremost, good evening. And your thoughts on the impact of, Trayvon Jackson playing, just, it's going to be his first game back against the number four seed North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, obviously, uh, how much of an impact do you think he can make coming off a, a, a right foot injury? You know, it's interesting because obviously, um, if you would have asked me that question a few weeks ago, the answer would be, oh, of course we need to have uh, we need to see Trayvon Jackson back on the court in order for us to believe the Badgers had a real shot of, you know, getting to the final four or beyond. But now I look at it and it's like because he missed the whole Big Ten tournament and he missed the first two rounds of the tournament, the NCAA tournament, he's not going to be at 100%. And that's fine enough. I guess the question is, is it's a double-edged sword because, yes, I'd like to see Trayvon Jackson back and playing and contributing. But you do have to wonder if there's at some point going to be um, a disruption in the, the chemistry or the continuity, I should say, maybe not chemistry, but you know what I mean, continuity of the, they've kind of got used to playing without him, and he could easily fit in if he's 100% and go back to being uh, to being Trevon Jackson, but he could also be 50% Trevon Jackson, which isn't nearly as good as Koenig. You, you see what I mean? So then are you taking minutes away from a guy who – uh, has been contributing and playing well for a guy who's not at 100%. And that's that's what gets interesting. Absolutely. And you deal with that, and, uh, you know, we'll see how the rotation goes. Obviously, the one place that he could help out, if he can provide some productive minutes, is off the benches with that depth problem. And, and the fact that they have gotten maybe their seven deep at best, you're looking at the fact where you have – along with the starting five of Kaminsky, Decker, Hayes, Koenig, and Gosser. But you have Duye Dukin, who kind of plays the forward. He'll spell the forwards some time. Uh, and obviously he's contributed here and there, but he's been a little spotty. Uh, but he's kind of come on a little bit more of late, though you'd like to see a little bit more production. Uh, then you also have Zach Showalter, former walk-on now, uh, and, and the fact that he has the ability. Uh, and you've seen kind of the... Uh, the impact he's made, he made that clutch three-pointer against Oregon, you know, earlier uh, this week on Sunday, uh, which helped them out a lot. You see the hustle work. He gets a lot, a lot of rebounds. He led the team in rebounds with five uh, heading into halftime in the game against the Oregon Ducks, in which they won 72-65. But uh, you, you look at the fact that this uh, squad, you know, if, they, if Jackson can provide at least 
I don't I don't think he it really it's really hard to tell he'll be able to, but if he can contribute five, ten minutes off the bench that are productive, that can spell Koenig when he needs to when he needs it. I think that that'd be huge. Uh, whether or not it can make a, a b- bigger impact, uh, you know, than that, who knows? Uh, but uh, you know, before we kind of get into the the preview with North Carolina, Scott, first off, your impressions on the weekend? I, I know kind of mentioned the 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 depth factor and kind of maybe showed against Oregon, not so much against against Coastal Carolina. But your first two, you know, your thoughts on the first two games for the Badgers? What the what they look good in and what they, you know, what you kind of want to see more of, especially heading against the Tar Heels and if they move on past them, the Arizona, possibly Arizona Wildcats or uh, Xavier. Well, I, look, on one hand, um, you know, you can be concerned about certain things you saw. But on the other hand, it's about winning and advancing. They want to win. Now, we know that the, the depth is an issue. Frank Kaminsky didn't play great. Um, they teams obviously are game planning to, to take uh, Kaminsky out of the game. So Decker actually stepped up and had a big game. And Nigel Hayes has continued his improved uh, contributions. So that aside, as you look ahead, there are some two tough matchups coming up. Carolina, because of their speed, though, they'll be missing a player that, that, that could work in, in the Badgers' favor. And then, of course, they get to Arizona, who I think, again, you know, the depth and the athleticism and, and those things aside, I think a bigger factor is going to be how the game's officiated. Now, if the Badgers lose the game, it's not going to be because of the officials. However, the officials, if the Badgers prefer officials who allow them to play. The Badgers pride themselves in not drawing a lot of personal fouls, but that doesn't mean they're not physical, and that they don't sometimes get away with things down low. Okay, If the game's officiated tightly, it's going to play against the Badgers, it's going to be a disadvantage for them. If they're a little bit more physicality, I think even with some of the depth issues, the Badgers would have a shot to win not just Thursday, but, but you know, advance to the Final Four. So it's really going to matter on how they're able to play their style of game or not. Completely agreed on it. Yeah, no, completely agree with you on that. You know, no, those are definitely big keys there. And uh, look at the fact now that uh, you said survive in advance is is key. And obviously, you play against an Oregon team that was looking for revenge last year. You look at the fact that they had a 12 point lead against the Badgers in Milwaukee, only for you know for the Badgers to come back and and have that 85 78 victory. And now you look at the fact that, you know, yeah, and you have a, a really hot guard in Joe Young, 20, you know, who had 30 points, 12 of 25 shooting. Uh, and he paced that team. Uh, he paced Oregon and, and, you know, almost single-handedly led them to victory. He got, you know, they tied it up at 52 with just over five, over five minutes left in the game. And it's one of those things uh, that uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play against a North Carolina squad now, obviously a lot of talent. You have a great guard in Marcus Page. You see uh, Menominee Falls native uh, J.P. Takoto, uh, who had uh, kind of a reunion with the Playground Warriors, the AAU squad. You have, uh, you know, with Sam Decker, Bronson Koenig, and then Takoto before he went to uh, North Carolina. Your thoughts uh, initially, oh, I can give mine in just a second, but let me hear you from your first, Scotty. What are your thoughts, uh, the matchups, uh, some some keys that you're seeing from from North Carolina and what the Badgers really need to do? Well, the Badgers are going to have to do um, – you kind of heard actually Bo Ryan allude to it a little bit over the last few weeks, that there have been a a few defensive breakdowns um, that were not – that didn't really rear their heads in the beginning part of the season. Okay? So – what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to not have those breakdowns. They're going to have to get back because on missed shots, if they're not knocking down their shots, especially from outside, it's going to lead to some long rebounds, and Carolina's going to be able to run a little bit and bust out and cause some matchup there. So that's just going to have to hit their shots. More importantly, they're just going to have to take smarter shots. Um, and they're going to have to get Frank Kaminsky the way that people expect them. Kaminsky, you know. Um, he's going to have to come ready to go. And if if he's at 100% and you get just enough contributions from Jackson to, to help spell Caning and some of the other guys, and you're able to get back on defense because you take smart shots, I think they have a good shot at winning this game. But, but those are three keys that they're going to have to stick with and, and um, 
and we'll see. I mean, um, it's going to be. I mean, it's, it's a, the Badger program, who over the last two decades has been, you know, a perennial against the North Carolina program, who has been that way for 50 years. You know, you talk about blue chip programs, top five programs. Uh, you know, North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky. Uh, Indiana or UCLA, wherever you want to put those two, because those are the blue chip programs. You know, Indiana has been down lately, but those are the marquee. You know, when you talk college basketball, you you can't you can't talk about the history of college basketball without talking about North Carolina. So they've got tradition on their side. Now tradition is not going to win them this game. You know, if they win, if they beat the Badgers, it's going to be because they played a better game. It, you know, tradition gets you headlines, but it doesn't help you once you step on the hardwood. So that'll be the that'll be that'll be the fun thing. And, you know, it I like the one of the Sweet Sixteen. But we can talk briefly later on about brackets and see how you're doing. And I, I'm doing okay, but you know, a couple games will actually change my bracket one way or the other. I got Michigan State beating Oklahoma, and some of the other people who are right behind me have it reversed. And uh, I also have uh, um, in the top of that bracket, I got Louisville, and Louisville won my Final Four team. So. You know, my brackets could get busted in, in a snap of a finger, um, but that's what makes this tournament great. A lot of close games in the first round, even in the second round, but, um, you know, a few upsets. We haven't seen – we don't have the major, major, uh, you know, Cinderella story out there. It's funny when, like, an 11 seed UCLA is considered a Cinderella, and we just talked about their history, and, and you don't think of a Cinderella when you think of UCLA. Um, obviously, Gonzaga is a perennial – Cinderella, but they've been a powerhouse for over a decade. You know, uh, yeah, they're still technically in a small conference, but they're Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga is a top ten program, like I said, just just about every year. Is there a story for you? Is there a team other than the Badgers, of course, uh, that you're kind of rooting for? Is there a, a good story out there for you as far as an underdog? Oh, for an underdog, you know, this year there's not that. You mean you mentioned it? There's not that true Cinderella story. Story you can look off a of bracket. You know the Seedings and UCLA, you know, the 11, I mean, maybe they might be the closest to just do their seeding and the simple fact that, well, the the fact that, you know, people thought they weren't going to, they shouldn't have been in, and now they're, you know, they're in the Sweet 16. Uh, you see Milwaukee later, Kevon Looney, you know, having, I think it was his 15th double-double uh, as a freshman, which is even more than Jahil Okafor uh, for Duke, who has 11. And so you have you have that stuff, and I, I mean, that's, that's impressive there. So I mean, I kind of pull for for the for the Wisconsin connection, but really I'm just not. There's really not a team that I'm necessarily rooting for. Uh, I mean, granted, you know, obviously you want to see how well and being being from Wisconsin and me being an alum, you want to see Wisconsin do well. But you're taking a look now. Uh, I mean, maybe a maybe a West Virginia against a Kentucky. Obviously, there were some words earlier today where you had uh, the one of the Mountaineers. Players saying, "Well, they're going to be 36 and one after tomorrow," uh, and uh, maybe that's a little, uh, little uh, presumptuous and a little <laughs> bold to say the least. Uh, but you know, you look at that. Uh, you like the Notre Dame story just because of uh, you know, I don't know, I just how they've ascended recently. Uh, maybe the team that maybe most Badger fans are rooting for, Scotty, would be Xavier against Arizona. Granted, you want to beat the best of the best. But Arizona's, I mean, if the Badgers do get past Roy Williams and North Carolina, you're looking at the fact that a very solid Arizona team, one that's looking for revenge from last year when Arizona was the one seed and the Badgers knocked them off to advance to take on Kentucky. Uh, it seems like it's a very you know, big road, you know, very similar road to what they had last year. And honestly, I think maybe, most, maybe one team many are rooting for would be Xavier. Uh, and and so it'll be interesting to see how that goes out. That that uh looks like a 9:17 start time. Badgers play at 6:47. Uh, but yeah, I you know it's I really yeah I mean I guess other than that, uh you know maybe the other, another Big Ten team, Michigan State, uh taking on Oklahoma uh, on Friday night. I think that'd be you always want to see. I mean you know there's a lot of respect for Tom Izzo. I think a lot of Badger fans have kind of come around to that. And, and there's a lot of respect between kind of the elder statesmen of the Big Ten with Izzo and Ryan. But I would say you're Xavier or, or Michigan State, in my opinion. Okay. Sure, fair enough. Um, and, again, Xavier might be the closest, because you mentioned even, like, Notre Dame and Michigan State. Michigan State was a lower seed. But they're not a Cinderella. You know, right. uh, 
they're getting another program that's been very, very good. So, um, so yeah, not really, you know, not really the, the small schools. It's been it's been more dominated by the big schools this year, um, and it should be interesting. Now, how are your brackets looking? Are you are you in good shape? Yeah, I, I told you, I'm I'm in good shape, but I could be out with with, with you know two or three games that don't go my way. I haven't actually checked just after some of the stuff that you saw with the three and the fourteens. I've kind of kind of wasted away and just said, oh, I'm just going to let this go uh, because it's just. Uh, but I mean, you know, I had I think Iowa State in one. I mean, we talked with Phil Mitten last Sunday about it. Uh, he liked Iowa State, and I heard tons of people saying they liked Iowa State. And obviously, uh, they they blow a, you know the opportunity there. Uh, you know, so yes, a couple things there. I thought Buffalo was going to upset West Virginia personally. Uh, I liked Bobby Hurley's squad mm-hmm. in this season, and so that kind of blew up. But everything else kind of pretty well, in, in my opinion. So everything, you know, most of the teams. So I think I'm in decent shape, but we'll. Uh, like I'm going to check in that you know, obviously uh, after tomorrow just to see where I stand. Uh, but a couple other real quick stats before we uh, kind of switch gears. What we'll do, uh, we'll play some a uh, couple minutes audio from, uh, you know, well, actually we'll do that at the end of the show with Trayvon Jackson. We have that uploaded. But a couple of quick stats, too, with just uh, from some of our Bucky's with quarter writers. Uh, Drew Ham noted in, you know, talking about, we talked about pace uh, a lot with the tempo and kind of the guitar heels kind of push the ball. But you look at the fact that, you know, as Drew mentions, the Tar Heels grab 40% of their misses on the offensive end. That ranks them fourth in the country, according to Kempom. So it's up to the Badgers to really work on the on the boards. And I think that's going to be a huge thing, Scotty. Is it, they got out-rebounded by Oregon 34-32, which is a team that's smaller than them. Granted, Oregon, you know, it, it happens where a team that's a little smaller, out-hustles, and the Badgers looked a little tired. And maybe that's something we could get, even get into before we talk about Brewers. It's just the fatigues, the possible fatigue that you see with the Badger squad, with depth issues, but also dealing with the fact that they had to play on a Sunday compared to the other teams in the West playing on Saturday. Uh, but you, then you look at, yeah, you know, how much you know let me ask you this. How much of that, the extra day doesn't, or the, the short day doesn't bother me as much because that happens every year. You can make an argument about the travel because they had to come back from Omaha, spend the day, and then fly out to L.A. I, I yep. get that part. I know that I know that Colin Coward, who's a bit of a obnoxious turd, obnoxious sports talk, you know, kind of took Bo to task for his complaining and, and yada, yada, yada. I only half agree with him. I kind of half agree with him because, yes, it, it is what it is, okay? I'll be honest with you, though. The Badgers are the number one seed. Having to play in the West, I think, you know, they. It's one of those cases where they might have actually been would have gotten a, a more of a favor had they been a number two seed and playing in the East or the Midwest or the South because of the travel. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, getting the one seed actually may have hurt them a little because it shipped them out west and and made for what was going to be a travel nightmare. But that being said. Um, you know, it happens to teams every year. If you go back and we look, and, and I, ha- I didn't to do it, so, you know, you have to forgive me, but if you go back and you look, you'll see that this ha- there's a team that has to deal with this all the time. So, um, you know, this is just one of those those times, and, and it's something you're going to have to overcome. I mean, yeah, you're playing a tough North Carolina and team. There's no doubt about it. And then from there, you, you probably can play Arizona, who is red hot, and a lot of people have them in the Final Four. I get that. I really do. Um, but if you're going to do it and you're going to, to, to get all the way to the Final Four, sometimes your road is going to be a little bit tougher. And in, in this one of the cases last year, quite, quite the opposite. They got to play in Milwaukee. So, you know, you take the good and you take the bad sometimes. But... You know, he, they said their piece. It's something that's been talked, but it could be a factor. I'm not totally discounting it. But now, once the game tips off tomorrow, I don't want to hear any more about it from the you announcers, know, I'm sure we will, or fans or anybody like that, because once once we get underway, it, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. If, if you're tired, that that's it's the break. So right. hopefully uh, that won't be a factor in the Badgers. We'll be able to get the win. Sleep well on Friday and get ready for Saturday. 
Right, exactly. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, they they got home from from Omaha at 2 a.m. At around 7 p.m., they took back off to L.A. Uh, some cool sights from L.A., just as, a, you know, you've seen Frank Kaminsky interviewing Frank the Tank, Will Farrell. You've seen some of the, the fun and games they're seeing there in the Staples Center uh, in terms of who's getting Kobe Bryant's locker, among other things. So uh, for a team that's so tired or maybe, you know, it's so much pressure, they're having some fun. Uh, they're enjoying themselves, so it means, I, you know, I I think they will advance against North Carolina, but what happens after that with Arizona or Xavier, we'll see. Uh, but uh, also some injury news for North Carolina. Roy Williams says, you know, forward Kennedy Meeks, guy's about 6'9", a uh, good rebounder with his knee, the game-time decision. Meeks thought, he told Rachel Nichols uh, that possibly that, you know, he said that he thinks, he thinks his knee will be good enough to go uh, come tomorrow, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, no, from that, like I said, we'll play some audio from Trayvon Jackson in just a little bit after we talk some Brewers. We'll transition quick, obviously. Uh, we've talked a lot of uh, basketball, a lot of football in recent weeks, talked wrestling. Well, maybe we'll get some WrestleMania in if we get a couple minutes uh, to spare at the end of the show. I do I do want to ask you this, and I'll transition to Brewers, which I'm very happy but one last question. Are you disappointed in the showing of the Big Ten this year? I mean, two teams, only two teams advancing, which is, you know, almost only a quarter, you know, about 38% of the teams advancing in the Sweet 16 of the ones that got into the tournament. Was it, were you disappointed? Do you think that was more of a fact that this was such a meat grinder of a season for the in-conference and it wore some of these teams out, or were they just a little bit overrated perhaps? I mean, I think it was a little bit of a down year for the Big Ten, to be honest with you. It's a fact that uh, you have, uh, you know, you have. I'm not surprised by Wisconsin and Michigan State advancing, but Ohio State gave Arizona a good run for for a half, uh, and then it kind of imploded, and and that was a good run. I thought that they had a chance uh, against Arizona, uh, and you know they put up a fight, like I said, for the first 20 minutes, but then after that, Arizona seemed to take over, and major props to the Wildcats for that. But, I mean, even Purdue. Purdue had that shot, and they blew it. You know, they had the lead. Uh, they let it go. Would they have advanced again, you know, to take, you know, would they have advanced uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> and played Kentucky? Who knows uh, how well they would have played them. But you're looking at the fact that, per, you know, Purdue had their chance. And, you know, Matt Painter's crew, you know, was always on the bubble of the top 25 or, you know, towards that area, like late 20s. Uh, in the polls, uh, just right outside there, and they, you know, and they, they were coming on late, and they, they seemed to be putting up a, a bit of a fight, but then, you know, the UCLA they did against Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament, they led by five at half. I just, you know, that was a disappointing thing to let that let that lead slide by, uh, and whatnot, but, uh, you know, it's just I think it was more of a down year for the Big Ten overall, so I wasn't I wasn't surprised that the teams that made it, you know, only like you said, 38 percent didn't make it in, so I uh, didn't make it beyond the Sweet 16. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, I know one of my brackets, I got Wisconsin going Final Four, I got Michigan State. Uh, that would be kind of nice to see just from a Big Ten standpoint, uh, two powerhouses going like that. But obviously you have the fact that, you know, obviously the Badgers have a very, very tough road ahead of them to even get to Indianapolis in the Final Four. Sure, absolutely. All right, so the weather the weather this week doesn't really seem to reflect it, although last week it was all right for a little bit. But our baseball season's right around the corner. As we get closer to it, have you had any new optimism? Have you changed your stance from what you were thinking? I don't know how you picked them. I, I don't I honestly don't know, so I'm not putting you on the spot. But when you thought about the Brewers coming into spring training, has your opinion gotten better or worse? And how do you think they're going to finish as we get close to the opening day next week? Uh, I, I mean, they they improve their their bats a little bit. You have Adam Lind, you have you know, and then you saw what they did with obviously they traded Gallardo just due to the fact with the the option that they had that was double digits in terms of millions of dollars, and the fact that they kind of re- with that trade they kind of got some younger guys uh, who have a chance to make the roster but not necessarily. Uh, you know they're not any big names. I'm. Uh, I guess I'm kind of the same. 
uh, you know, and, and they overachieved last year that you saw the collapse that happened last year. It makes you wonder, you know, will this team get to 82 wins? Will it get to 500? I know I actually saw a prediction earlier today. I forgot where it was, where they said they predicted the, bat, the Brewers to get 74 wins. Uh, another, you know, another publication said earlier, you know, earlier maybe this month, looking at 78 wins. Uh, I think they'll hover around 500. It really depends. Uh, just if you can get that production at first base, if, I mean, it really covers Scotty for me on the bat of Ryan Braun, on the bat of Aramis Ramirez. Uh, Ramirez entering the twilight of his career can still be productive, but can he be that lead, that fourth hitter? Can Braun with that uh, whatever cryogenic stuff he did with his thumb? Can he make an impact like he did? We don't ex- expect him, but yeah, you know, to to for the Brewers to to have 35 home runs and 120 RBIs and, you know, uh, uh, you know, 1,000-plus OPS, whatever. He's not going to be that anymore, you know, obviously. But can he be productive in that three-hole? Or somewhere down the line on that lineup, can Ramirez make that, you know, make the – can he continue uh, producing as the full number four hitter and avoid injury? And, and, I mean, Lucroy – and, and Carlos Gomez, they're going to be the ones that really have shoulder the load of this team and lead the team, especially just you know like I said, with especially if injuries surmount uh, for Braun and Ramirez again, uh, it's it might be a long year if those two don't can't contribute again. Well, I think I think there's part you're right on some of that. I'm I'm less concerned about Ramirez's production because even if he is injured. I don't know that that's going to make it break it. I think anything you get, if you get a Ramos Ramirez of a couple of years ago, I think that's great. This is his last season. I think he'd like to go out strong. But it starts with Braun. Braun's OPS has to be around 850, uh, 875 uh, for, for starters. Okay, that's for starters. I think there's some other things you have to look at. Okay, Luke has got to be, he's got to do it again. Gomez has to keep on doing it like he's done the last few years. But I think the, the catalyst on this offense lies with two different people. Number one is with Chris Davis. Um, a lot of stock has been put into Chris Davis and his bat and the things that, that, that they hope he could bring to the table. Uh, they let Ioki go, who, you know, was an, at least a, a passable leadoff hitter, which they still really lack. They let him go because they believed in what Davis could do. So it's safe to say that Chris Davis hasn't lived up to it. Um, he showed some flashes. He's played 24 home runs. He's got to get on base a little bit more. Obviously, the offense, the Brewers' problem on offense every year because it's what Doug Melvin drafts and looks for in players, They're guys who don't necessarily take a lot of walks. But they have to do, be a little bit more. They have to get on base. And in Davis's case, since they're not going to take walks, and he's going to have to do it with a, a higher batting average than he did last year and have to have more base hits. Um, so that's one. Adam Lynn's another one. Look, I don't think – I know people kind of, you know, basically crapped all over the Adam Lynn deal. Adam Lynn can hit you two, 290. You know, granted he's going to be in a platoon where he's probably only playing 110 to 120 games because of, you know, his struggles um, against left-handed pitching. But here's the thing. I, I think that he can still hit – 18 to 20 home runs. I think he can hit 280. I think he can, you know, slug, uh, you know, 450 and and have, you know, close to an 800 OPS. However, he's not going to play every day. Maybe that's where you see a guy like Clark or, or one of these other bench players or a little court doing some platooning there too as well. Um, but those are the two keys, Davis and Lind. Because if Gomez can do what he's done and if Braun is Braun, uh, from a couple years ago, not the Braun we saw last year, Lucroy is Lucroy, and you have modest production from, from Land, improvements from Davis, and a healthier Ramos Ramirez. Now you have a pretty good offense again. Now you have an offense that can score runs. You look at the pitching staff. There are a couple question marks with Gallardo gone, and it wasn't because I think Gallardo's great. You talked about that. Gallardo's not an eight. Gallardo's going to end up wanting to get paid like an eight, um, and that's part of the reason I think part of the way He's not in However, they didn't replace him with a, with a guy. You still have Jimmy Nelson, who, let's face it, there's a lot of question marks here. Um, what he was able to do on a AAA level and, and the minor league level is wonderful. 
but he hasn't developed the third pitch at the major league level, and he got rocked at times uh, and looked bad at times. And he's going to need to make a huge step up as the number five. I'm still not sold on Mike Fires either. Mike Fires three years ago, really good. Two years ago, awful. Last year, really good again. You know, which is the real Mike Fires? Is it what we said last year? The year before, somewhere in between. I think it's somewhere in between, which makes him an above-average starter, certainly nothing special. He also should take the next step. That's great. Garza has to stay healthy, and Kyle Loesch has to continue to be the Kyle Loesch he's been since the Brewers acquired him, but he's also facing an uphill battle with, with father time. He's not getting any younger. So, again, now let's talk about pitching. Loesch has to be Loesch. Garza has to stay healthy. Peralta has to make the next step, and Fires or Nelson have to have good years. I, you can get away with one of them not being great, but there's not a lot of depth. Who's the spot starter? Zach Duke is gone. Um, uh, Estrada's gone. Um, who else has gone from last year? Uh, uh, Tom Gozolani. Guys who could have stepped in to be an emergency starter if Garza got hurt or Jimmy Nelson started to pitch poorly. They don't have that. Thornburg could be a starter, but he didn't start last year. He's coming off an injury. I still think Will Smith should be uh, should have been stretched out to be a starter because he showed good stuff as a starter in the Kansas City organization. But they loved him in that setup role. Fine but you're losing depth now as you're starting pitching. So my point is if somebody gets hurt or somebody stinks, who's the next guy up? Who's that spot starter? They certainly have enough short guys, you know, um, from Perez who's trying to make the spot to uh, an injured Henderson who when he comes back up to DL is a short team guy and Roxton and, and uh, K-Rod, uh, uh, um, you know, they certainly have enough guys, other guys, too, from last year who filled those roles. They're fine. They've got enough guys who can go in innings. But do they have a guy who can step innings? And more importantly, do they have a guy to start if they need one? And that's where you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Let's say you need your spot starter eight times a year or seven times a year, okay? But let's say you have a quality spot starter who can, who can help you win four or five of those games as opposed to one who can only win you two. Now, that three-game difference could be a difference between 84 wins and 81 wins, and last year, 84 wins would have gotten them in the playoffs. You see what I mean? It's, it's the little things. It's the finite details that could make or break the season. So when people sit there and, and you make these, these, these predictions and you, you try to talk with as much thought-out hypotheses as we can have, right, and we say stuff like, well, you know, Scott like, oh, come on, how does that matter? Well, that's how it matters. Uh, the other thing that matters, I don't, I, I like K-Rod. I was glad that they kicked tires on him a few years ago. I remember that was a huge debate you and I had. But there were times last year he looked really good, but towards the end of the year he gave up a lot of long balls. You can't have blown, he can't have more than six, five or six blown saves because if you lose, more games because he had nine blown saves. That three games would be the difference between 84 wins and 81 wins, and 84 wins would have gotten him in the playoffs last year. So it is a fine margin. It is a razor's edge. It is a very thin line between success and failure, between being a postseason contender and being a 78-win team. It's the little things like that. Like I said, blown saves, spot starters, Injuries from some of your everyday players. So your replacement player, like last year, the, guy, the replacement player for Aramis Ramirez at that position wasn't very good. It wasn't Aramis Ramirez. So now right. your war, that war goes from, from four to a minus point, minus a half. Well, again, that could cost you uh, a, a half a run a game, and that could be the difference to between 85 wins and 81 wins. So. They're going to need, they don't have a lot of margin. Room. They're not deep. They don't have a deep farm system. They have some guys that will be ready in a few years, but they don't have the next brigade ready to come up. Okay, this isn't the Prince Fielder and Braun Corey Hart brigade down there. They don't have that. They don't have what Chicago has, what the Cubs have. They don't have that. So their major leaguers have to stay healthy. They have to perform at the level that, that they can. They have to perform at their highest level. The starting pitching has to stay healthy because there's no depth. Again, that's tough in and of itself because we know Matt Garza's had a history of missing starts throughout his career. So 
all that aside, I just babbled and filibustered for a long time just to basically tell them I think they're an 81 and 81 team. And I think that's their high watermark. They, they, best case scenario, they can win 84 games and be a second wild card team. I'd love to see that. Worst case scenario, they win 72 games because everything goes wrong. Um, right. So I'm kind of like split in the middle there, and I'm going to say 81 and 81. I hope they're better than that. Um, even if they aren't, I hope that 81 and 81 at least keeps them sniffing that second wild card. Do you know last year, um, every team that was uh, that had a winning record in the National League made the playoffs? That's um, impressive. The Bruins were the only ones. They were the, the next closest team out. So, um, so I still think 84 wins, especially with how deep the division is and how teams are going to beat each other up, I still think 84, 85 wins will get them in the playoffs. I just don't know that they can get to 84, 85. Right, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, too, I, you know, I think they'll be right around the 500 mark as well. I think they may, you know, I, I maybe it'll be a game or two, in my opinion, above 500. Uh, but, you know, you also look at, too, with the fact that, you know, you talk about Will Smith being the kind of left-handed specialist. They brought in Neil Cox, who was supposed to be the left-handed specialist. This is a guy back in 2013. Yeah. Eight and three with a 111 ERA and a .95 WHIP. He only gave up seven earned runs and 57 innings pitched for the Rangers back in 2013. This this spring, uh, you know, and, and Tom Hardicourt and Todd Rosiak from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had an article yesterday talking about his role and even Brandon Kinsler's not being defined. They were supposed to provide more depth in that bullpen, and they signed Cotts to that one-year, three million dollar contract. You want his, he's 0-2 this year with an ERA over 10. And so a guy that's 35 years old, also in his, the twilight of his career, and also celebrating his birthday, so I doubt he'll listen to us, but it's so happy birthday. But uh, you're looking at the fact that a role like that could, you know, talk about depth, where they sign a guy that's had some previous success, not necessarily working on the they said that, you know, there's been reports you saw on Twitter he's working on mechanical issues, that he's working through that. If you can get that fixed, can you get back to, I'm not saying the 2013 form, but something better than 2014 where his ERA was really high. Uh, and looking at the fact that, you know, his ERA was 4.32 4. Uh, and was not 2 and 9. I, you know, I don't know if he's the linchpin, though, because you still have guys like Kinsler and Wooten, too. You got. Bullpen might be their deepest spot, going even down into the people who aren't going to make the 25-man opening day roster. The problem is getting to the bullpen. You know, I think, because first of all, even a deep bullpen, when you look at how good Pittsburgh's bullpen was last year in Kansas City, but in this game, majors, unless you're like a top-of-the-line closer, you can be Jekyll and Hyde. That great bullpen could, could stink this year. You know, all it takes is one guy to be terrible and everybody else has to be put out of position and it's a very uh, house of cards so to speak. However, that said I think the Brewers' strength might be the bullpen. I, right. But if they can't get there, if, if if their starter is getting bounced in the fourth inning after giving up six earned runs, what good is it? Like, what, I mean, you, you know, you got to be able to get to that bullpen and then we can talk about whether or not the bullpen can hold. Uh, but still, that said, okay, as we talked about if you're the Brewers looking at their roster right now, who's the long reliever? Who's the spot starter? Is it Thornton? Can you trust coming back from an arm injury? That he, cause somebody's got to be that guy, man. Somebody's got to be the inning leader. Who is it? Because they had plenty of them the last couple of years. Not so much now. Absolutely. And we'll see what comes up, comes of that. And obviously next week we'll be talking more about the Brewers, talking more opening day, obviously, is the day after Easter. Uh, and so uh, either it'll be uh, you know east you know Eastern evening or even uh, down the road from there uh, if we go you know like it might be the day after opening day or two depending upon what happens uh, you know with uh, with the Badgers and if they can advance to the national title game. Well, we'll have uh, a show. We'll have a show between right because we'll we'll probably sure. talk Monday um, to talk about the Badgers and to talk about WrestleMania. And to talk about uh, maybe the Bucks making a playoff push, and maybe maybe the Packers will sign a free agent that's not there. I doubt it, but who knows? I mean, we've got five days in between. You know, likely again, likely we'll get together, and, and hopefully for the sake of the state and, and alumni like you, we're talking about the Badgers in the Final Four. Um, 
through, you know, but there's still a lot going on, which is great. It was a nice, you know, I think all in all, Jake, we had a nice um, bridging of the gap after the Packers season ended because the Packers went, you know, long enough. They got to the NFC title game. The Badgers obviously kept things interesting in between, you know, after the Packers season ended. But not only that, but the Bucks up until recently were playing well, and now it's baseball season right around the corner. So we made it through the quote-unquote sports wasteland of that, that is post-football, and now we're coming out on the other side of it, and before you know it, we're going to have the NFL draft, and then we're going to have uh, NBA playoffs, which the Bucks will be part of. I don't know how deep they're going to make the run. Of course, baseball season will be underway, and before you know it, it's going to be uh, training camp and an NBA draft and uh, all those other things. Um, so, like I said, we got through it. You know, we're coming out on the other side now, and uh, that uh, – Again, I'm sure the thermometer will, will cooperate in the next few weeks, and we'll. Uh, I saw a forecast. I'll be at opening day, by the way. Saw a forecast that calls for freezing rain and a winter of like in the single digits. Now, I, I don't take a whole lot of stock into that because a couple of things. It's 11 days away, 12 days away. They uh, they're not even going to be right about Saturday's forecast. I'm sure. So. I don't know why people even mention stuff like, hey, in 15 days, it's supposed to rain, really? Well, okay. But uh, I guess my point is hopefully the weather breaks a little bit here and we get some nice sunny days and some 60s, and maybe it'll start feeling a little more like baseball here. Absolutely, yeah. And so I know, like, next week is supposed to be nicer out here. I know it's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be near 60 out uh, sometime midweek next week. Uh, and uh, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, obviously, things always change where it goes from 71 day to, as you saw, Sunday night into Monday, where you get we got we got I don't know how much you got over here in, over there in Milwaukee, but here in Madison, Scotty, we got about four or five inches. Even farther out west, like Janesville, down south in Janesville, west out to Prairie du Chien, you're looking at about eight to nine inches. Like it, it was pretty crazy. Uh, and all that, yeah, all that. What? we got nothing. We got we got like we got the the cars were covered. You know, okay. Um, and you know, the grass was covered for part of the day when I got out of work. It was all gone. Like, there's no snow on the ground here. But uh, wow, you guys got that much, huh? Yeah, no, yeah. I did a radio shot Monday for uh, WSCO with our buddy Marcus pa- uh, Path uh, up there on the big one. Uh, about 4:30 or so, I was driving. You know, I'm and I'm getting my on my way home and looking at the fact that yeah, like he was surprised they got nothing up in the Appleton area. But yeah, it, it snowed uh, pretty well in, in Monday in the Monday morning and uh, I mean they're talking about it all Sunday here. Like oh, you know the radar shows snow. Next thing you know, like, nothing was falling yet up until about I'd say you know like the, the twilight of the of the day. But yeah, no, we got hit pretty hard. But everything's melting now for the most part. But uh, yeah, just one more way for Mother Nature to tell you that uh, she can stick around and she can play some games with you, especially here in Wisconsin. Well, we already know that. So, um, let's see, anything else? Um, Buck's got a crazy win against Miami. He must win. And really, they got lucky to win that game. Um, still, to me, still not playing well. Now 5-13 and 13 since the Brandon Knight trade, and still a bad trade as far as I'm concerned. But, um, of course, I reserve the right to say I'm wrong with Michael Carter-Williams turns out to be a better player than Brandon Knight. But, um Obviously, they just haven't figured out the chemistry since the trade. But nonetheless, they got to win. They got Indiana coming up tomorrow. Another must win. And these are teams that are hot on the field as the Bucks hold on to the try to hold on to that number six spot. Um, uh, let's see. Um, WrestleMania yeah, coming I, up. I guess that's everything. That, yeah, WrestleMania. Any? Uh, I guess quickly. You know, I know that we got to wrap it here, but. Uh, any predict? What what do you predict? What do you see? Maybe give me three predictions you have of things coming out of WrestleMania. Um, I think Reigns wins the title, but there's a double turn where you'll see Reigns and Heyman kind of join, like the Authority, and then you have Lesnar become the face. Uh, and I, I, don't know, I have a feeling about that. Uh, you've seen some change there. I, I think that'd be kind of a fun prediction because then you I mean Lesnar just signed the deal, and so he can be kind of you know he can come in and out and uh, chase for the title. You see what the fans are now and uh, how much they're behind him. Uh, maybe I'd say I think maybe the prediction for me is that the ladder match for the Intercontinental title will take will steal the show. I, I don't think it's a bold prediction by any chance, but I think that 
the players that are involved, the bad news, Barrett, Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, even our truth, a decent worker, uh, and, you know, Dean Ambrose and, and those guys, uh, you look at the fact that they're going to put on a great show. And I, I think, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't know what, to, I, I think, I, I don't think the Wyatt Undertaker match is going to be as good as people think. I don't even know if people think it's going to be good, but, um, I'll say, you know what, uh, for my third prediction, I, I think Sting and Triple H is going to be decent. I think it's going to tell more of a story than, of course, be athletic. Sting in his mid-50s now. Obviously not the same guy that was uh, doing his uh, Stinger death drop uh, to Hulk Hogan 20 years ago, you know? So I'm, I'm, but I think it will be a decent match that's going to tell a story. And when you have Stephanie McMahon, who's a great heel, you have a great heel in Triple H, I think it's going to be a great match. I think it'll be a great story that they'll tell. Uh, but in terms of how they'll carry I, the I performance. Think, you know what? I'll go one further. I think it's going to be a great match. And I know that the internet wrestling community, who I really can't stand most of the time, will probably crap all over it and uh, whatnot. But it will probably be very old school, maybe you know mid '90s style match. But I think both guys will work well. I think Triple H is still very good at what he does. I think Sting has gotten in a little bit better shape since his run at, ended at TNA. I think that's going to be a really good match. To also to piggyback off of your ladder match, I think the ladder match is going to steal the show. I would have loved to see Luke Harper out of it and in the Battle Royal and Sheamus in his spot. I think that would have made really? it a little bit better because he is ready to return, but it looks like they're going to wait till after WrestleMania. I think I'd have preferred that. I just Luke Harper doesn't do much for me as far as being, being in that match. I know they probably need a big guy to catch the, the Flyers, but I, I, other than that, I think that match is going to be great. And I'd love to see the double turn. I've been calling staff for a couple of uh, months, but, I, again, I don't want to get started on the, the, some of these wrestling fans who completely can't stand Roman Reigns. However, I will Rumble 2014. We're booing because he didn't win it. So, hey, you know what? You want something, and you get it, and then you hate it. Just like the uh, fans who've been complaining that Dolph Ziggler doesn't get enough quality wins, and now he's beaten Daniel Bryan twice, and now they're mad about it. So, I, you know what? If some people you just can't please. Eh. Yep. Uh, the IWC is definitely a group that you just can't please. So I think they should stop trying because they end up watching anyway. Or they you know, complain and moan about it and go watch NXT, which still goes into Vince's pocket. So whatever, he's playing them like puppets, man. I think that's the smart thing to do. So there you have it. <laughs> On that note, too, we can get a chance to it. Maybe we'll talk about it uh, next week. Just the Chris Borland retiring. Uh, best of luck to Chris. Uh, on such a young, young age. I don't think we talked about it last week. That came on right afterwards, uh, after our show. Uh, but best of luck to Chris. Uh, and we had him on the show. Highly intelligent person. Uh, great character. You've seen all the charity work that he's done. So what we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, down the road, obviously. And we hopefully we can try to get him on uh, after but, all. But remember this. This is a trend. He's not going to be the first who who leaves the sport a little early. And it's not going to signal the end of football. I I think I said it before, boxing for years and years and years, everybody knows the the, the trauma that boxing can bring, but still people box. People will still still play football, but there's going to be a lot more people who walk away from it. There's going to be a lot more people who maybe after the first or second concussion go, yeah, maybe not. Um, It's a rough sport. You know what? It doesn't make you a, a, a wimp or weak because you want to have a, a productive, fruitful life. You, know, you hear people talk about, I, I, you know, I, I think this would have been a great dupe for the week if we had talked about it last week because uh, Mike Florio made the comment about how well, my, my grandpa was a coal miner and he um, he had a more he had a dangerous job and he didn't make the money that Borland made. You know what? Good for Chris, good for Bowling, because he was in a position financially to make a choice. Maybe the grandpas couldn't because of where he lived in West Virginia. Maybe that's all they had to make money. Good for Chris Borland that he was able to walk away on his own terms. I'm sorry that Mike Fordale's grandpa couldn't, and I'm sorry that he got black lung and, and he had problems from working in the coal mine. And it was a, it is a dangerous job, and it's, it stinks that people have to that that's the job some people have to have. Chris Borland wasn't in that position. He didn't need to keep playing football. He's young. He's smart. He made some money. Hopefully, he invested some of it well, and he'll find a career. He's a college graduate. Okay, take nothing away. That's no disrespect to a coal miner like Mike Florio's grandpa, but you're comparing apples to oranges, dude, and it's a stupid comparison. It really is. 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 you know, like I said, it's, and Florio's comment, yeah, I, I mean, I know that was a huge thing, you know. I, I, I don't know. That was, oh, yeah, that was a frustrating tweet. I know a lot of people that I don't know if you saw the the hot take from Fox News at all. Not this isn't political. This is nothing like that. But just that, you know, this stuff. Before we wrap up and play audio from Nigel Hayes and Trayvon Jackson to, to end the show, I don't know if you saw this, but they actually had uh, someone on Fox News, I forgot what his name was, there's an article saying Chris Borland's not a hero and that concussions are the next global warming and that it's, you know, all the facts and all the studies are are at best murky and at worst a complete fo- you know co- you know coax it's a fake it's all that stuff and I was just like okay, what let me, let me just let me just stop let, let me just stop that insanity that you're that you're repeating because I know this isn't your view first of all why what, why would he not be a hero why would he be a villain because he wanted to pull on but secondly whoever said it is a complete moron because I'll tell you what if you don't believe that CTE is real and you haven't seen enough studies, then you're just sticking your head in the sand. And, you know, I, I, it's not like I make political either, because there's things about Fox and there's things about MSNBC that are equally stupid and that are equally extreme and that are equally ignorant, okay? But that's a particularly ignorant take. And, I, and if, I, if I could, you know, without obviously seeming too malicious, I'd love to take whoever that was who had that take and give them, like, I don't know, over the course of this year, five or six concussions and then check on him in, in five or six years and see what his mental capacity is. See how things are different. I've had a few concussions and I'll tell you what, I'm not, I'm old, I'm 44, fine. I'm not nearly as sharp as I was 20 years ago. Not nearly. I'm not the same person and I'm not taking repeated hits to the head every day. So, right. I, I mean, so call it what you want. I'm not a drug user and I'm not a drinker, so I didn't kill my brain cells. So you want to tell me why things are different for me? Does somebody want to explain that? Maybe this Fox News correspondent can explain why my mental capacities are a little different. And I'm not even in the same, like I said, I'm not you know, getting hit and risking a hit every time I step out on the field. So maybe this moron should take a few concussions over the course of a year, and we'll see how, how his brain transpires. We'll see if he's still clear and, and clear-headed and thoughtful and, and, and insightful and see if he still has a job doing what he's doing in 10 years, or if he just isn't as sharp as he used to be. Let's find out. Otherwise, if you're not willing to do that and take that challenge, then shut your mouth. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll... Uh, oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was a doozy. I know that. By the way, you're responsible for one of my concussions. I don't know if you know this. Or not. What? What did I do? Hell yeah. Yeah, we Where were at... Um, we were... We were wrestling over in Cudahy for um, uh, Fusion, and I got my head got bounced off of that bar when we were having our street fight, and I was concussed that night, and I was uh, quite the mess later on that evening. So um, I'm sorry, so I didn't know you, you contributed to my diminished mental capacity. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Now you just made me feel bad. You don't have to be. It was not none of it was your fault at all, but. Um, yeah, first of all, that's the risk you take. Look, we want to do something silly like be a pro wrestler. You're taking a risk, man. That's the way it is. Um, oh, you saw that with, Christ. with... Yeah. I mean, you saw it this weekend with, you know, Pero Aguayo, you know, which, uh, rest in peace for him. I mean, taking a simple bump and, and, and you know, it's it's risk. I mean, if they don't try it at home, I mean, don't try it at home. But uh, yeah, even even the most He's trained... He's been wrestling 20 years. His opponent, his opponent's been wrestling 20 years. They're both highly trained. They're both at the top of their game, and something happened. I mean, look at all the concussions that some of the other wrestlers have taken over the years, and it's caused them to have to retire. And, and hell, I mean, without even opening this can of worms up, I mean, look at the concussions that uh, Chris Benoit was subject to. So, um, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sports, I mean, those high impact sports, it's, uh, you know, player, people know the risk or they should at least know the risk before even trying it. So, but then again, you have studies like they're showing that, I mean, and you may be one on this level about 90 seconds left live on air, but just talking about there's a high, you know, study saying high school football is, is similar to 
playing at you know, the same risks compared to being in choir and band, which I tend to believe more because there's the athleticism isn't necessarily there. The, the speed of the game's not as fast compared to what you see in the college and the pro games. So I could see that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be plenty more studies and, and it's obviously a deeper conversation than what we're having. So, um, anything other than that, brother, you got well, anything else? But I, I, yeah, I mean, I still think some of that head trauma starts in Pop Warner, even though it might not be as vicious. It starts to lay the seeds and whatnot, but no, I, that's it. Uh, let's call it a night. We got some theater to play to take this out and, uh, you know, I guess hopefully we'll be talking some positive badger news when we get together. Sounds great. You guys have a great week weekend. Enjoy WrestleMania if you're going to watch it. If uh, not, uh, you guys want to mute my Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter, FB5Q, at Kielbasa Kings, WI. Uh, we're going to play some Trayvon Jackson right now for the Polish Rifle. Scott Wisniewski, this is Jay Kokorowski. Enjoy the game tomorrow night and hopefully the game on Saturday, and we'll see you early next week for another edition of the Kielbasa Kings Sports Extravaganza. Here's senior guard Trayvon Jackson. Yesterday, so taking the next step, I guess, and then we'll the first round that we might be going. So you're there, bro? 100%. You're giving it a go? Tomorrow, definitely, I'll keep playing. All right. It's been two and a half months. How you want to get in or how it wants to work you in? How many minutes are there any sort of limitations or anything? Uh, no limitations. The only thing, um, I just got to prepare for anything. I'm, just, uh, I'm full growth, so whatever, you know, the minutes you work out or whatever it is, I just, like, for me, I just been preparing just for the moment. Whatever calls for it, I'll be ready. So, oh, we can guarantee you're going to be playing. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. I've been playing in practice. That was the whole goal. I've, you know, different lessons, everything was fine. So. What was that like when you realized in your mind, okay, I've gone from Michigan State to maybe to, if I play, if I don't play, I'm okay with it, I'm going to play now. Uh, I mean, it's been okay. I mean, I've just been patient throughout the process, honestly. So, like I said, I've just been getting prepared, just for preparing my body and preparing, you know, mentally for the occasion. And if it, you know, when it comes, you know, here tomorrow, then you know, I'll be ready. What do you, what's you going to do yeah. at this point? Uh, whatever is needed of me, honestly. So. What's the key for you mentally, physically, especially mentally, I guess, to handle it because you've been gone for so long to be able to be at your best in the t- whatever time you are on the floor? I'm mean, just having no fear, man. Just having fun, um, playing aggressive, just playing the way I play, and um, just going out there, just being aggressive, and just giving them all to the team. It's been so long. Are there going to be nerves for you? I'm sure it'll be a little bit, but I mean, um, other than that, it's fine. I played the game too long to have you know nervous nervousness on the, on the court. It's just, like I said, man, just having fun out there. And I, it's just a, a joy to be back on the court. It's natural for after an injury like this to be tentative a little bit when you're on your path coming back. Are you past that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. That's that was uh, part of the reason why I wanted to be patient throughout this time. Is I want to be fully, you know, able to be where I'm at mentally, uh, you know, physically. Now that it's there, um, it's just it's just a, a great time to you know really be myself again. So it's been definitely a good process. Oh yeah, definitely. That was the goal to be back. You know, late Big Ten, uh, you know, Big Ten tournament. So, but you know, yeah, definitely a little later. But I mean, hey, it's, it's, that's how it worked out, and you know, the process is fine. Oh, this is now Nigel Hayes talking about going on just earlier today at the Staples uh, Center in Los Angeles. This is Nigel Hayes, sophomore forward for the Wisconsin Badgers, just talking to the media and uh, having some fun uh, with some more stenographers listening. I heard because the mic was still on, so you know. Casting the record. It's it's on the record now, so I mean at least she knows now. No, uh, I was talking to Jordan Hill, and he kind of threw you under the bus. He says you're a Johnny Come Lately Kobe fan, and your presence in his locker uh, may not uh, represent the, the truest of the Kobe fans in the locker room. You care to respond? Uh, I mean, he's right. I was uh, LeBron was always uh, my favorite player, and then um, like recently this past summer. I switched over to uh, being a Kobe fan, and uh, so yeah, uh, he says I am late to the party, but I always say, well, at least I'm at the party, so um, hopefully while I'm here, 
I've been told this is his locker. There's not 100%, about 95. But hopefully, you know, I can uh, I can get to meet him and uh, maybe talk to him or whatnot. That would definitely um, make my uh, make my trip. Did you actually try to research the lockers in this room to find out which might have been him? Uh, from people in the locker room, when Kobe has a couple pictures or interviews in this picture, Right here to my right is next to the locker he sits at. So by, you know, deductive reasoning, this could be that locker. But still, we're not 100%, so I'll have to do some more digging and uh, recon to make sure that this is actually his locker. All right, you work on that. Meanwhile, as for the game, um, what's the biggest key to beating North Carolina and how much of it begins and ends with transition defense? Um, all of it starts with transition defense. They're a great transition team. They get up and down extremely well and fast, even after made shots by the other team. And if we're able to uh, limit that as well as uh, limit their offensive rebounding, I think they have about 15 or 16 offensive rebounds a game. And if you let a team have that much, that's 15 extra times they can score on you. So if we can eliminate those two major things, I think that we'll have a better chance of winning. Is playing in the Staples Center a thrill for you? Um, I mean, I guess it's nice to be able to play where Kobe plays. So, yes, it is a thrill. And um, Frank's ability to conduct an interview with a, an actor, uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet, or uh, how would you grade that? And if you had to interview any Hollywood star, who would it be? Um, well, I have not seen I saw a picture of him standing there. I have not seen an interview. I'm sure he did um, extremely well. But if I had to interview a star, it would probably be uh, maybe uh, like a Beyonce or like a, or Eva Longoria. Or, oh, no, probably Nia Long. Definitely Nia Long, without a doubt. I actually, I, I love Nia Long. She's one of the most beautiful women that's ever probably stepped on earth. So, yes, I would love to uh, speak with her.